This morning, uh, I'd like to tell you a story. Uh, it's not my story. Uh, it's Jesus' story. Uh, so you can follow along with me. It's, in, found, it's found in the book of Matthew. We're in Matthew chapter 21. So if you'd please uh, turn your Bibles to Matthew the, uh, chapter 21. Uh, we will start with verse 33. So uh, if you brought a Bible, if, if, you, if you don't have a Bible, there's probably one in the pew, um, either behind you or under your feet. Or in front of you. So um, follow along with me. This is Jesus' story. It's not my story, but I'd like to tell it, like to, tell it to you. Uh, it starts with verse 33. Can you turn this down a little bit? Buzzing. Yeah. Thank you. And Jesus says, uh, verse 33, book of Matthew, chapter 21. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, and he put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away on a journey. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, He sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. Jesus begins to tell the story that would have been familiar, at least the context of it. And although um, we don't so much live in in, in a place where there's a lot of vineyards, you can understand the concept of owning land, owning property. How many of you, well, don't raise your hands, but it's it's, it's one of the American dreams to come to this land and, and to own actual real estate, own property. For many of us in the countries that we were born, uh, uh, it's, not, it's not really possible um, financially and just because it's not the way it's set up. But coming to America, a lot of immigrants like myself want to own land. So we know this concept of having a house. Uh, like I said, it's an American dream. We own this concept of owning a land. And, and maybe you uh, also understand uh, what it means to be a, a landlord. You own a property and then you've rented it out. Uh, my father, uh, here in San Diego, uh, uh, has or had and has somewhat of a business where he would buy property and fix it up and rent it out. You've probably either participated or know someone who has, and uh, he would take us along to help him. Uh, when he bought a property, we would remove all toilets, you know, fix squeaky doors and things like that. He would usually put some money and some investment into it, but that was the easy part. He actually liked that part. He, he liked fixing things up, putting new floors, sometimes busting down walls. But when it was all ready, then came the hard part. Taking applications for renters. Having people come and visit, take a look, and then trying to decide who to rent it to. Um, having lived with my family and having watched my dad deal with uh, making, uh, well, guesses at who a good tenant would be, I've never wanted to be a landlord. I never wanted to be in that position um, because oftentimes uh, we would be in the house and my dad would say, come on, you got to help me. What are we doing? Oh, those guys moved out and we got to go clean up. Somehow they didn't pay their rent. He had to get an eviction notice, the three days to quit, and all this. You might know, you might be familiar with some of this language. And then we would have to go in and when we would go into the house, it was trashed. 
things were busted up, dirt everywhere, uh, and, 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 uh, and my dad would complain and fuss and, and stuff, and, and he would say, never again am I going to rent to that type of person or this type of person. It's one of the hardest things as a landowner to know who's going to be a good tenant and who's not. So you can probably understand this if, if you are a landlord or if you're a tenant. You understand this dynamic. It's, it's familiar to you. So maybe it will make sense, even though today we don't normally speak about vineyards. But the story that Jesus is telling right in this moment would have been familiar to those that are listening. And he says, there once was a landowner who planted a vineyard. I'll, I'll read again. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. This landowner would have been a wealthy landowner to have the ability to, 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 to purchase this amount of land and make all these preparations in it. Understand here the little details, okay? Picture in your mind. This is a large property, large enough to hold a vineyard. Now, the vineyard is a, um, a picture, idea, uh, or a, a metaphor that is quite frequent in the New Testament, it's something that's also uh, familiar to you as a, as a Christian, as, as, a, as a member of the Adventist church, this concept of a vineyard, a place where things uh, are planted and they grow and they bear fruit. And Jesus says that in this story, uh, uh, the landowner planted a vineyard and he put a wall around it, also very significant, very important. This property that he had set aside and was investing in, he wanted it protected, so he put a wall around it. It wasn't just open fields. It wasn't just uh, 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 simple markers. No, he actually put a wall there around it. And he built a wine press in it. The vineyard wasn't only going to produce the fruit. It was also going to process the fruit. They were going to use it. They were going to grow it and use it. And it was going to produce consumable goods. It was a fully functioning a vineyard. In other words, those that were going to rent from it had the ability to, to uh, or, or, or live there, had the ability to plant, grow, and also produce uh, a, a wine out of it and sell it and make money. Almost like, like a business, if you will. It had a, a complete setup. And there's also this. And he built a watchtower. Now, uh, we don't normally do that now, but the only reason you would build a watchtower was if you thought that the walls around it were not enough to protect the piece of property. You'd build a watchtower much like you've probably seen in pictures or in film where there's a, a, a fort of sorts and there's, there's a watchtower where somebody can see off in a distance who is coming and, and, and ready to defense in case somebody comes to attack. These are all details in the story that will be important just, in just a moment. And Jesus says that a watchtower was built. It was completely self-enclosed and, 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 and fully functioning. And then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away on a journey. Now, implied there, just as it would be if you have property or, or if you rent, that when you rent something to someone, you have an agreement in place. Um, my wife and I, before we moved here, we were renting a place near our, uh, our last church. And um, it was a really nice house. The, the gentleman was a real estate agent who owned the house and rented it to us. Um, but because he was a real estate agent, he also was very familiar with what to do. So he had a very detailed application. Uh, you know, you have to pay $35 and get your credit checked. Uh, you may be familiar with that. And a very detailed application. And then the lease 
was one of those, you know, super duper real estate ironclad kind of things. Where it had lots of pages and you had to initial all this stuff. Uh, included in there were things that um, other people might overlook. There was a, there was a, there was a, a clause in there that said, um, you must keep the grass green. It was in the desert, so it was very important to him. Grass cost a lot of money to put in. So included, one of the things was, you know, a tenant must water the grass, must maintain green. Uh, in there, and you had to sign that off. When you rent something, or whether you're the person that's renting or the person who's doing the renting, uh, you make an agreement. So when, when the story says that the farmer, I mean, the, the landowner rented the vineyard to some farmers, there's an agreement in place. There's an understanding in place. There's an exchange. You get to live here, but these are the parameters. You get to use the vineyard and the wine press and protect your investment, but there's going to be an exchange. And it's implied because in just a little bit later, as you, I've read, the owner comes to collect his rent. So, uh, so the Bible says here in Jesus' story that, that, that the farmer and the landowner came into agreement. They had a deal. Probably a favorable one to both parties. Or else they wouldn't agree. If the rent's too high, you don't sign your name on the paper. And if the renter doesn't want to pay, you don't give them the keys, right? Usually there's an agreement. Today you have to put first and last month, right? You have to put like, you have to put deposit, first and last month, and, and all this stuff. But, but, but here there's an agreement in place. And the Bible says in Jesus' story, verse 34, that when the harvest time approached, the landowner sent some servants to the tenants to collect this fruit. This is an interesting part of the story because the landowner doesn't actually isn't sent to collect money. He's sent to collect a portion of what's being produced. So the agreement that he had in place didn't ask for more than they could actually give. The landowner simply asked for the stuff that was producing that they were working at, a portion of what the vineyard was producing. But the tenants seized the servants. The first one, they beat up. Now, this is why I never wanted to be a landowner, because I, I hate collecting rent. My dad would say, go, go collect rent. No, no, I don't want to. My brother was more capable, so he would send him. But my brother had a soft spot. He would go and say, you know, it's, it's, it's already the 10th of the month, because you know the rent is due on the 1st. And they would say, oh, you don't understand. My check, it didn't clear. Uh, you know, uh, oh, I had an emergency with the car. Come on, give me a couple more days, a couple more days. And, and my brother would say, okay, okay, I'll be back. But my dad would get really mad. <laughs> um, because my dad would say, they're, they're tricking you, they're lying to you. You know, that, that's, I, 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 I couldn't stomach collecting rent. It's, it's too difficult for me. My dad, on the other hand, was no nonsense. He'd go in there and knock on the door. If you don't pay rent, psh- you got your three-day notice. I'm going to kick you out. You know, he was, because he felt like he had to. The uh, Bible says here in Jesus' story that the first person sent to collect the rent, and mind you, it's the agreed-upon rent, okay? And it's not more than they have. It's just a portion what they have produced. It says they beat the first person up. Now, we, we kind of gloss over it when we read the story, but think about it for just a second. Um, in our household, if my dad couldn't go, he would send one of his sons. He would send one of, one of his kids. And if this landowner would send one of his kids, he doesn't, he sends a servant, but they beat him up, how would you feel? 
if you were the landowner and the person you sent to collect rent got beat up? You'd be a little upset, wouldn't you? Uh, you might ask some questions. The Bible says in Jesus' story that the landowner sent a second servant. They beat the first one up. The second one, they actually killed. Now, this is strange, and I, I'm not sure if this would happen today. It might. I don't know. But it's clear that the people that are living in the vineyard do not want to pay rent. Not only do they not want to pay rent, they're somehow really, really offended or upset and angered by the landowner's servant who's come to collect their rent. Now, doesn't that seem a little strange to you? Those of you that are are tenants, uh, doesn't it seem a little strange that they would be so upset when the landowner is simply coming to ask for the agreed-upon payment? I know when we we used to write out the the, the check for the rent, it it was like, oh, man, it's a big check, and and you're sending away. It's doing nothing for you, right? It's just evaporating. Although you did live there, you had the roof, but but you don't think of it that way. These people are really upset. The Bible says that they killed the second servant, and the third one they stoned. That means they didn't just want to uh, not be bothered Maybe the first one, they were upset, and they beat him up. Maybe the second one, they thought, okay, look, he didn't get the message, so we're just going to take this one out. But the third one, they stone, which is it's not only a brutal way to die, but a humiliating way to die. When people take stones at you, it's not that they're just trying to hurt you. Biblically speaking, and, the, and what the, the people listening to this would have heard, is that when you're being stoned, uh, judgment is being exacted on you. The Old Testament um, counsels and the laws and the punishments in the Old Testament, including stoning. But it was only in the, in the situation where someone had committed something that God had preordained. You shall not do this. And if you do that, the punishment will be this. So when, 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 when people were being stoned, it was because they were exacting judgment. So when these tenants decide to stone the third person, the third servant... They were not only defying the landowner, they were passing judgment against the agreement. They were not just saying, we can't be bothered, we're too busy, we don't have the money. They were actually saying, you don't have the right to ask me for the rent. Strange? And then the Bible says, Jesus' story, last of all, the landowner decided to send his son. And he said, they will respect my son. This is fascinating to me. I have a son. I think about it all the time. The landowner sends one, two, three. They either come back dead or significantly injured. So he decided to send his son. Now, I wouldn't do that. If they beat up the first three, what are they going to do with my son? I, I, I wouldn't risk that. I wouldn't do that. But, but, but the landowner in this story says this, they will respect my son. He essentially says, although we've agreed on this, they agreed, they signed, they're living off the fruit that, of, of my land. I'm only asking for a portion. They, they disrespect, but maybe they just didn't understand. Let me send my own son. 
Because when they see him, they'll know that I'm serious. They'll know that I'm the one who's sending them, sending the servants. They'll know that I'm the one who's sending. They'll see my son, and they'll say, no, that's the landowner's son. No, we better think twice now. We better think about what we're doing. We, we better reimagine what, what's going on with the situation. Maybe we can negotiate. See, the, 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 the servants could only collect, but the landowner's son would have more authority. So the landowner says, let me send my son, and they will respond differently. In fact, he says it this way. It's like a, a, a statement. They will respect my son. But when the tenants, verse 38, when the tenants saw the sun from the watchtower off in the distance, they said to each other, this is the heir. They knew who it was. This is the heir. To him, this vineyard will belong. Come, let's kill him. And if we take him out, then this will be ours. This is a very uh, indicative statement. It tells you two things. It tells you, one, that despite the fact that they were rebelling against the landowner, they knew that the vineyard did not belong to them. See? They knew that the vineyard belonged to the sun. They were just working it, and despite the fact that they were being defiant, they knew that it did not belong to them. So they said, let's kill him, and then we will have his inheritance Bible says in Jesus' story, so that they took him, the son, and they threw him out of the vineyard, and they killed him. And then he asked this rhetorical question. When the owner of the vineyard finally comes himself, what will he do to those tenants? What's your answer? When the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They killed or significantly injured the servants, and then they killed his son, whom he sent as a last resort. And Jesus asked the question, when the, when the master comes, when the, when the owner comes, and he won't be coming alone, but when he comes, what's he going to do with the servants? What's your answer? Well, what would you do? What would you do? Jesus asked this rhetorical question. When, when, the, when the landowner comes, what will, what will he do with the tenants? And they replied naturally like you would in your head. Uh, they said, well, obviously he's going to bring those wretches to a wretched end. Now, we don't use the word wretched, but in, in their language it meant to see these, these uh, uh, pick an adjective. You can put whatever you like in there. But these uh, uh, lowest of the lows, they're going to be... He's going to really, he's going to hurt them. A wretched end. They replied, he will bring those wretches to a wretched end, and then he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at the harvest time. It's fascinating if, if we had been in the audience that day, because Jesus is talking, as you know, if you, if you get a little bit back on the story, he's talking to Jewish people. He's actually talking to those that are learned in school in the Old Testament literature. He's actually talking to primarily the, the religious leaders of his day, which would have good, really good understanding and knowledge of the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah. And Jesus comes and sort of tells this hypothetical story and he says, what do you think he's going to do to these landowners? And they say, wow, they're going to get wiped out. 
And then they decide to add this next bit. Because Jesus doesn't say, what will the landowner do with the land? He just says, what would the landowner do with the tenants? But they say, no, he's going to wipe those guys out, and then he will rent out the land to somebody who will give him the agreed-upon price. It's fascinating, because in that one phrase, in that one sentence, they condemn themselves. And Jesus says, have you never read in the Scripture the stone that the builders rejected, recall this verse, has become the capstone. The Lord has done this, and this is marvelous in our eyes. And then Jesus says these words, Therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you. Boom. For a second there, they just thought there was a story, and they figured they could uh, talk about, like, yeah, those bad people, yeah, uh, God would do this. God would, they thought they understood. But they didn't understand as Jesus was telling the story. He was talking exactly about them. And so Jesus says, what will the landowner do when he comes back? And they say, well, he's going to wipe these guys out and rent it to somebody else. And then Jesus says, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you by your own admission and given to people who will produce its fruit. Now, what does this all mean? And what does it have to do with us? Well, it's not that hard to figure out. The vineyard, the vineyard is a symbol for the kingdom of God. Those of us who have accepted God as our Savior and that we want to belong to his household where we work the land. The vineyard is the kingdom of God, those that choose to believe under the lordship of the landowner. The fruit and the wine press and the watchtower and the walls are God's indication that he has provided protection for the kingdom of God. Read in here the body of believers, the church, yes, even our own faith community. See, when Jesus is talking about these tenants, he's not talking about people who know nothing about God. He's actually talking about people who know God very well, who have had an agreement with God. You know what that agreement would look like today, here here and now? It would look like this. It would be those who've said, yes, I accept Jesus Christ as my personal Savior and believe that by his death he has paid for my sins. And now I want to live a new life for him. That's the rental agreement. Probably the one that you signed, those of you that were have been baptized. And, 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 the, and the, the next part of the equation is God says, yes, you are, I, I, I give my son, you are saved, but now live your life for me as part of my kingdom. The harvest is you producing fruit of the kingdom. It's us collectively working together to produce fruit of the kingdom. What fruit would that be? Well, it's not hard to figure that out either because the Bible talks repeatedly about what the fruits of the Spirit are. It's not just new believers, although it may include growing the church, but it's producing the fruit of the kingdom, the fruit of God, the fruit of the Spirit, kindness, gentleness, meekness, grace, love, hope, joy, God says, that's the agreement. I'm giving you 
the land, the kingdom of God is in your hands. It is here. You are it. You are part of it. And God wants us to produce fruit of it. But notice what they do and what we might be tempted to do. And sadly, sometimes are doing. Rather than to produce fruit for God, we take the kingdom, the vineyard, and we decide to make it produce things for our own gain. What the Jews were doing was using the Old Testament laws and the system of, of, of relationships established in the Old Testament to create personal power, personal position. What they were doing with their religion, with their kingdom of God, was they were using it to create a hierarchy whereby they were above and others could be kept low. Using it for their own means. And when the son finally does come and he's sitting right there telling him the story and saying, look, I've sent my prophets to you, people of Israel, from, from, from time eternal, I've sent my prophets to you. One by one, you stoned them, you killed them, you rejected them. But now God has finally sent his son, his own son. Why? It's simple. We just haven't been taking God seriously. We've been confused. And now God sends his son because God says, no, no, no. They will respect my son. They'll see him and know me. Jesus says, remember, you've seen me, you've seen him. The Father and I are one. We, do the, we talk and, and, and walk and, and act in unison. So what happens here when the son comes and he says, look, this is what my father wants. And that's what he's doing. And in fact, that's what he might be doing today to you and me. That's the son might be coming and says, I need you to understand how the kingdom of God works. What we find in the tenants is not that they are incapable. It's just that they are unwilling. And the same applies to us. As part of the church, as part of the kingdom of God, as part of the, the, the brotherhood of Christianity. When God comes and he says, this is what I really want from your life. I want it to produce fruits of kindness, joy, forgiveness, gentleness, meekness. It's not that we are unable because by the grace of God, we are empowered to do all of these things. It's just that we are unwilling. But I want you to notice the process here. God sends his servant first and they beat him up. The next one they kill. The third one they stone. And then they take the son and they, they, they plot murder. And what you see, the progression there, is what we call the hardening of the heart. See, the heart represents the part of you that makes decisions. The part of you, the central inside of you, that filters information and decides to act. And the hardening of the heart is this process whereby you continue to reject God's requests, invitations. And you lay out a course of action that moves further and further and further from the will of God. I want you to capture this, okay? It's not that the people in the story were outside the church. It's not that they were not unfamiliar. They were not heathens. They were not idolaters from over there. These are people in the vineyard like us. These are people that are part of God's household that God has had a relationship, an agreement with, but that systematically refused to honor God's call. 
upon our lives. Why does this matter to you and me? It's actually rather simple. The problem with being human is that we've messed this whole thing up. The whole world is upside down. The problem with being human is that sin has caused irreparable damage to humanity. And we are governed in this world by pain, by shame, by guilt and suffering. And there's only one outcome to our direction. That's ultimately death. And we don't deserve anything better. But the perks of being unworthy is that God sent his son. And his son came to give us what we did not earn or deserve. And that's forgiveness and salvation. We can't fix this ourselves. Only the son can fix it. And he's able and available and has been even to us for many, many years. But the challenge you and I face, see, it's different from those that have never heard about the Son. Those that have never heard about Jesus don't know the story. They haven't come face to face. The challenge we face, those of us that come here week in and week out, are part of the church and have lived here, is that we know Jesus. We have agreed to receive his forgiveness, and we have decided we have a new life in Christ. But systematically, when it comes to producing fruit, we walk in the ways of rebellion. And we do just like them. First, we're offended that God would ask us to change those pieces of our hearts and of our lives. We're offended. And then we're upset. And then we think, it's not possible. How does God want me not to be so angry? It's how, it's how I was born. How does God want me to be uh, 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 different? This is how I was made. No. And worse yet, we become hardened in this way. And we still live in a vineyard. And we're still planting fruit. But it doesn't produce anything for the kingdom. So Jesus says this, and I want to say it to you in close. This is the last verse here, verse 44. Jesus says, the, the, the stone of Bill's rejector had become the capstone. He's referring to himself. As you know, you're a biblical scholar. You understand that Jesus says, this stone, which represents Jesus, he has brought, the builders rejected it, but God has made it the central, the capstone, the cornerstone upon which everything is built. And he says this, he who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. Jesus makes a start contradiction right there, a, a contrast that you need to be aware of. He says this, Jesus is the stone. Jesus is the rock. That's what we say. On Christ the solid rock. Jesus is the rock. Jesus is the stone. He says, he who falls upon this rock will be broken to pieces. Here's what's important. Even if you're a member of the vineyard, the kingdom of God, even if you're a person who's known about Jesus all your life, been baptized, done all these good things about God, unless you fall on Jesus and are broken to pieces, you have not fully begun to receive who he really is. The only way to truly bear fruit in the kingdom is to get rid of everything else that is not the kingdom. Brokenness. But he says, if you refuse that, then the rock will fall on you and you'll be crushed. It's God's way of saying, with his forgiveness comes the opportunity to change. But if you reject his forgiveness, the only thing God has left for you is judgment. 
and judgment is crushing. You know what, friends? Some of us got to think real hard right now as a church. I think there are some of us who refuse to be broken by the rock of Jesus Christ. We want to hang on to our own way, to our own particular understanding, our own particular views. And Jesus says that you got to break that. You got to break that. We, 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 we want to stand up and use our system of faith to create position and hierarchy and authority and value for ourselves while keeping others down. And Jesus says he needs to break that. We want to use our understanding of God, even our understanding of the Bible theology, to make others feel less. But what the king wants, what the landowner wants, what God wants, is for us to produce the fruit of the kingdom, which is humility and generosity and, and forgiveness, all the things that Jesus himself is. And some of us got to think really hard because Jesus says that if we do not receive and enter into this agreement, the vineyard will be taken away from us and give it to somebody else who will bear fruit. That would be so terrible. That would be so terrible. So we've got to open up and let Jesus inspect. And we've got to let him uh, break every part of us that is just us, full of selfishness and, 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 and me first and my own preferences and what I want or what I think is right and live only for Jesus, only for what he instructs, only for what he teaches not clouded in my own self-righteousness, not, not hardened a heart that says me, 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 but Jesus and Jesus alone. Only him. Jesus says that he who falls on a stone will be broken to pieces. The only other alternative is being crushed by the weight of who he is. I want to ask you to challenge yourself and, and, and as I challenge myself too. We're not going to sing the last song. We're just going to close in prayer. Okay? So if you just please pray with me. Father God, I thank you for this church and for everyone that is here. I thank you that you are patient and long-suffering. and that, that you continue to plead with us. But Lord, I know that in a lot of ways, this particular vineyard is not producing the fruit that you want. And God, I want to beg forgiveness for the things that we have done that are self-driven, for the things that we are doing right now that are just about us and what we want instead of your kingdom. And I want to ask that your Holy Spirit would bless us with humble hearts and open minds to follow your leading and to cut out anything that isn't from you. Thank you for continuing to give us this chance in the person of Jesus Christ. Amen.